Good morning. If you'll reach for your Bibles with me. It's also my humble opinion. I think we should sing Christmas songs all year round, but I don't want to start a revolution by that. I think I saw some eye rolls out there. So turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1. We'll be reading, starting in verse 18, reading through the chapter. If you need a pew Bible, you can find today's reading on page 959. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, we come this morning, Lord. We rejoice that you are with us. Father, I, I love this passage. I think of Joseph here, a common man who went against the culture of that day, Lord and trusted in you, and trusted in what the angel said. Lord, be with Pastor Bruce. Use him, speak through him. Open our hearts, open our minds to you and you alone today. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you, Becky and Alan, for leading us in a beautiful rendition of Christmas carols. I always enjoy this particular Sunday singing the traditional Christmas carols, and thank you for Becky and Alan leading us in that, in Dane, thank you for leading us in our scripture here in Matthew chapter 1 as we continue in our Christmas series this morning that we began last Sunday, a series that we are calling A Manger with a Mission. My wife and I have been on somewhat of a mission for the last few years now, and that mission is to walk every day. Uh, we like to take our walks in the evening after we come home from work, and, uh, and so it's our mission to walk every day, and I have to be honest with you, some week we fulfill our mission, where we walk every day of the week, we don't miss a day, and it's wonderful when that happens, but honestly, most weeks we don't fulfill our mission, we miss a few days in taking our walks, and, uh, and so we may only walk once a week, twice a week, three times a week, whatever the case may be, but we try our best. It's our mission because, one, it, you know, as we're getting older, we want to be healthy. And then it's just a place in our time, in our lives, where we can reconnect as a married couple and talk and just uh, renew our relationship with one another as we take a walk. And so we enjoy it. We look forward to it. And, uh, and so on one particular time on our walks, we uh, here lately, the last month in particular, when we, when we have a two-mile, we try to walk two miles uh, every time, and we have a path that we mark out. And so on this particular day, as we walk by, we, we always see the same house. And there's this house that is very much broken down. I mean, it is decrepit. And uh, as we walk by, we always kind of wonder, man, 
Is anybody living there anymore? And it's been empty for the last six weeks, six months, or whatever the case may be. And you're wondering, how long is this going to stay empty? Who's the owner? What are they going to do with it? And all of a sudden, two weeks ago, we walked by, and it's demolished. Bulldozers had come by and just raised it and cleared out the land. And, uh, and we're like, wow, somebody does own this, and somebody's going to do something with it because it wasn't worth fixing up. It was too broken down. And it reminded me of something Paul Tripp once said in a book that he wrote. He compares our world to a broken down house. He goes on and he writes, every single room has been damaged and dirtied by sin. Not one part of it shines with anything like the pure glory that was so evident when it was first made. Sin has left this world in a sorry condition. You see it everywhere you look. And we saw it last Sunday in the genealogy of Jesus Christ here in Matthew chapter 1. In fact, the list of names included in Jesus' genealogy is a reminder to us of how sin has dirtied and damaged every generation throughout history. And so today, we kind of at that point in Matthew's gospel in which we, we're just longing to ask. It's, it's within, within us to ask the question, well, what is God going to do about it? We live in this broken down world filled with sin. What is God going to do about it? The genealogy shows that to us. How is God going to respond to a world that is broken down by sin? How is he going to respond to a people who are dirtied and damaged by sin? And the answer is the reason for the season. Christmas is God's rescue mission to a world that is damaged and dirtied by sin. It is God's rescue mission to save us from our sins. In fact, notice this in your notes coming up on the screen behind me. God sent a Savior to rescue us from our sin. Remember what we saw last Sunday in Jesus' genealogy. Israel's history is one sad tale of one felled king following another felled king, reminding us that human flesh cannot rescue God's people. And this lesson is universal. No human king, no human prophet can rescue us, for for flesh and blood alone cannot save us. Even today, no president, no politician, no physician can rescue humanity. No matter how hard they try to put in restrictions, to come up with vaccines, and whatever the case may be with the latest outbreak of COVID. We need a Savior to rescue us from our greatest problem, and that is sin. And Matthew says that God has been orchestrating this rescue mission through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, that is the whole point of Matthew's gospel. In fact, he tells us that Jesus of Nazareth, according to verse 18 in chapter 1 here, that Jesus is Christ. And Christ is not Jesus' last name. Rather, it means the Messiah or the anointed one. In other words, God promised that he was going to send a Messiah king to bring salvation to the world. 
which means Jesus now in His birth is the fulfillment of God's promise. Jesus was born to be our King as we saw last Sunday, but He's also born to be our Messiah King, to be our Savior, one who will save us from our sins. Now, how did this birth take place? Well, Matthew seeks to answer that question for us when he writes in verse 18. Notice how he starts. He simply says this at the beginning of 18, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Verses 1 through 17 records the genealogy of Jesus Christ through 42 generations. In fact, tracing his ancestors back to to Abraham, as we saw, and even to King David. But the genealogy takes a rather strange turn at the birth of Jesus Christ. You see, the pattern throughout the genealogy is that one man was the father of another man, who was the father of another man, who was the father of another man. But then the pattern changes abruptly in verse 16 where it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. And so did you notice that Jacob is called the father of Joseph, but Joseph is now called what? The husband of Mary, who was the mother of Jesus. Now that raises some obvious questions here for us this morning. It raises questions about the birth of Jesus Christ. And Matthew's going to answer those questions for us here in the rest of the verses here in Matthew 18, or verses 18 through 25. It teaches us that Jesus' birth was anything but ordinary. It was anything but natural. In fact, what Matthew's going to show us here is that the birth of Jesus Christ was very extraordinary. It was supernatural, in fact. And that's what I want us to unpack here this morning. I want us to see this because that's what Matthew is showing us in these verses. We're going to unfold it here in three simple points where we're going to see, first of all, Mary's pregnancy. And her pregnancy was scandalous. Her pregnancy was scandalous. Look what it says again in verses 18 through 19. Now, for now, I'm going to take out the phrase that de-scandalizes Mary's pregnancy. And that phrase is from the Holy Spirit. So notice again. And the reason I'm going to take it out so you can feel just a little bit of what Mary and Joseph must have felt when they found out she was pregnant. Matthew writes in verse 18 and 19, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what is going on here? Well, two facts are very clear from the outset. Moses, Mary is found out to be with child. In other words, Mary is now pregnant, and consequently, Joseph does not want to marry her. What is not so clear, however, is how Joseph can be called Mary's husband when they are not yet married, and how Joseph can even divorce Mary when they are not yet married. And so the key to understanding this perplexity is really grasping the cultural context of what it means to be betrothed and married in the days that Jesus was born. You see, a betrothal was 
much, much different than our modern-day engagements. Where many engagements in our day, they don't even make it to the wedding day because they're called off for various reasons. But in Jewish culture, a betrothal was as binding as marriage. It was a year-long period before marriage in which the couple was considered husband and wife. And that explains why Joseph is called Mary's husband, even during this betrothal period. In fact, for all legal purposes, a betrothal was considered as if married, except that you did not live together and you did not have sex with one another until after the wedding ceremony. And so a betrothal was so binding that the only way that it could be broken was through, in that culture, what was called a, a, a legal divorce, which also explains how Joseph can even divorce Mary. So then, you might begin to even see a little bit now the scandal of all of this. Mary is pregnant, and yet she is betrothed to Joseph, but Joseph is not the father of this baby. No doubt Mary was in a tough spot, especially in that culture, the Jewish culture in that day. She became pregnant before her and Joseph came together in marriage. And the language of the text even suggests that Mary did not even break the news to Joseph. Rather, it became apparent as she swelled and grew with Jesus inside of her. But Matthew reminds us that Joseph's spot wasn't any easier as well. In fact, Matthew writes the perspective or writes about the birth of Jesus Christ from Joseph's perspective, where Luke writes about the birth of Jesus Christ from Mary's perspective. And so Matthew focuses mostly on Joseph here. Now, again, Joseph, he's in a rather tough spot himself. Mary was the woman whom he agreed to love and to marry, but she's now found to be with child. And worse than that, this baby was not his, biologically speaking. Joseph knew that he had not slept with Mary. So in his mind, in his thinking, her pregnancy meant one thing and one thing only. Infidelity on her part. Now, can you imagine how Joseph must have felt? I'm sure he, he felt somewhat confused by all this. Definitely, he had to be a little disappointed in all this. And even embarrassed in his culture. And I can only imagine what Joseph might have said to Mary. How could you? How could you do this? We were to be betrothed to one another. We were to be married. I was going to build a little house for us in Nazareth. And how could you do this? Why? Those are all the natural human questions we all want to ask if we were in Joseph's shoes. And so such was the scandal surrounding Mary's pregnancy. So what is the truth about it all, though? What's the truth behind the scandal about Joseph and Mary? Well, the truth is this. Notice this in your notes. Joseph was a righteous man. Joseph was righteous in his character. And he was compassionate on behalf of Mary. We're told how Joseph responded to the scandal of Mary's pregnancy in verse 19, at least how he wanted to respond initially. Matthew says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to do what? To, to simply divorce her quietly. You see, being a just man, 
Joseph could not just disregard God's law about sin. And to marry, Mary would have been to do just that. In fact, it would have been admitting guilt when he was not guilty. In a sense, Joseph would have been lying if he married. He would, in essence, by his actions of marriage, say, yes, it's my child, shame on us. But under Jewish law, if your spouse was unfaithful during this betrothal year-long period, you had the right to issue her a divorce. But because Joseph was a righteous man, he did not want to condone Mary's apparent sin. At the same time, he had compassion for Mary. He loved Mary. And so he did not want to humiliate her either. He didn't want to put her to shame. And so Joseph expressed his, his compassion for Mary without violating his own integrity by resolving to divorce her quietly or privately. You see, rather than publicly bringing charges of adultery against Mary, he would simply divorce her without stating the grounds for the divorce. Now, you have to understand, in that day, in that culture, that course of action brought scandal now to Joseph's own reputation. You see, in our day, when a girl gets pregnant out of marriage, it mostly just affects her. But in biblical times, it was a reflection of the man who got her pregnant. And so for Mary to become pregnant before their wedding, the community would have come to a conclusion about it all. And they would have concluded that Joseph violated her unless he pressed charges of adultery against her to clear his own name. But Joseph is moved with compassion. He loves Mary. And so he let Mary look innocent and himself to look guilty. Folks, that is true love. That is deep love that Joseph had for Mary. And so the truth about Joseph surrounding the scandal of Mary's pregnancy is that he was a, a man of character who loved Mary deeply. So what's the truth about Mary then? Had she been unfaithful in that, of course, from what Matthew writes here, we know that the answer is no. Mary was faithful in her betrothal to Joseph. Now, the obvious question then is how did she become pregnant then if she was faithful to Joseph? Now, again, put yourself in Joseph's sandals here. Joseph wrestled with this question. Oh, did he wrestle with this question? And an angel appeared to him in a dream, saying in verse 20, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You see, what Joseph was missing was this bit of key information that was given to us in verse 18. It was also given to Mary by the angel Gabriel in Luke chapter 1. Mary asked Gabriel in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, she says, how can this be since I'm a virgin? And do you remember how Gabriel responded to Mary? He said in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. That's how this will be. And this all brings us to the second fact about the birth of Jesus Christ. Yes, Mary's pregnancy was scandalous in that Jewish culture in that day and time. 
But number two, we also find out, we also learn here from Matthew that Jesus' conception was miraculous. It was miraculous. Now notice that this truth is emphasized twice for us here in Matthew. In verse 18 and again in verse 20, we find this phrase, from the Holy Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. Now, have you ever ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the role of the Holy Spirit in the conception of Jesus Christ? Just think about this. Jesus, and this is in your notes, come up on the screen. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not by Joseph, nor by any other man. Now again, there are plenty of people, even today, who ask the question, is this really all possible? Is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ really possible? In fact, one person asked this question. Her name is Jane Schomburg, and in her book, The Illegitimacy of Jesus Christ, she accuses the church of inventing the doctrine of the virgin birth in order to subordinate women. She summarizes it this way in her book. She says, The charge of contemporary feminists, then, is not that the image of the Virgin Mary is unimportant or irrelevant, but that it contributes to and is integral to the expression or the oppression of women. She goes on to say that she believes the conception of Jesus was most likely the result of of an extramarital affair or even rape by a Roman soldier. You see, the reason so many people don't believe in the virgin birth is because it is, in our human minds, it's illogical, but most of all, it's unbelievable. A virgin conceiving without a man? Why, that's absolutely impossible. In fact, if it did happen, then that means that baby would be God, and that changes everything. A number of years ago, Larry King was asked who he would most like to have interviewed across history, and one of those he named was Jesus Christ. And then he was asked why. And Larry King said this, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born, because the answer to that question would define history. You see, Larry King got it. He understood that if this one fact is true, It changes everything. Yes, the virgin birth is impossible, but that's the whole point here. We serve a God who can do the impossible. Gabriel said this much to Mary in Luke 1, verse 37. Nothing will be impossible with God. You see, the fact that it's a miracle, the fact that it's impossible, proves that Jesus is God. This is not a minor point of doctrine. Listen, the virgin birth is at the heart of the Christian faith, the Christian gospel. Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? So that he did not carry Adam's original sin. So that he was sinless. So that he was God. So that he could save us from our sin. And so, yes, the conception of Jesus Christ, it is the most extraordinary miracle in all the Bible and the most profound mystery in all the universe. One pastor and Professor Danny Aiken put it this way. 
He says, and I quote, the Bible does not present the virgin birth of Jesus as a myth, fable, or legend. Rather, it presents it as a supernatural act of God, whereby he invades space and time and comes to live in the midst of his people. Problems with the virgin birth are almost always problems with the supernatural. And problems with the supernatural are almost always a problem with the God of the Bible. If you can see your way to believing in the God of the Holy Scripture, you will have no problem finding your way to the virgin birth of Jesus, a birth that is truly like no other. This morning, we sing Silent Night. One of the phrases in that verse is, round yon virgin, mother and child. If you sing that Christmas Eve or Christmas morning in your home, maybe your kids will ask you, Mommy, what's a virgin? Listen, I encourage you to tell them the truth. Don't shy away from that question. Tell them the truth about Jesus. Tell them that we can be saved because Jesus was born sinless. He stayed sinless and he died in the place of sinners like you and me. This is not an add-on doctrine. This is a must-believe doctrine. And notice what the angel tells Joseph about Jesus. In fact, angel told Joseph three things here in verse 21. He says, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So notice these three things, these three facts, these three truths about Jesus. First, the angel announces gender. His gender. He will bear a what? A son. In verse 20, the angel calls the baby that which is conceived in her, and now the angel declares that maybe's baby will be a son. In fact, in our call to worship this morning, Todd read from Isaiah verse, in chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And so physically, Jesus is Mary's Son, for even in the genealogy where we read over and over that one man fathered another, verse 16 identifies Joseph as Mary's husband, and Mary as the one who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. So as the son of Mary, Jesus, understand this, is fully human. We say, and what's the big deal about that? Why is that important? What does that mean? It means that Jesus was just like any other child in that he was born as a, as a crying, cooing, bedwetting baby boy. So don't picture Jesus apart from his true humanity. And I know we sing Silent Night, and it was a, a holy night, but I'm not quite sure it was silent. And like anyone who is fully human, listen, Jesus possessed the full range of human characteristics. He is like us physically. He's like us mentally and emotionally and outwardly. Or to put it another way, Jesus' humanity, it was plain for everyone to see when he walked on this earth. That's why when Jesus taught in the synagogue, in his hometown, the people were amazed by it. In fact, they said this to him or to one another in Matthew 13, verses 54 and 56. They said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? 
Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? In other words, the people who, who were closest to Jesus for most of his life, they, they recognized him as merely a man just like everyone else. You say, why is that important? Because it means that Jesus is fully able to identify with you and me. He's able to identify with us. He's not unlike us. No, Jesus is truly representative of us who is familiar with all of our struggles, all of our sorrows in this world. And so as the son of man, or as the son of Mary, Jesus is fully human. And yet, in the very same breath, we must acknowledge that as the son of God, Jesus is also fully divine. Fully divine. Just as Jesus possesses the full range of human characteristics, so Jesus possesses the full range of divine characteristics. Just consider all that Matthew, he begins to show us in his gospel about Jesus. You begin to read through Matthew's gospel, and he shows us that Jesus has power over disease. He's able to cleanse lepers. He gives sight to the blind. He causes the lame to walk. Jesus shows his commands even over nature. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus rebukes the storm, and it immediately calms down. To which the disciples ask in verse 27, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey his voice. Jesus has authority over sin. He's able to forgive sins. Jesus has control even over death. Jesus not only brings others to life, such as when he raised a little girl from the dead, he even raises himself from the dead. And so as the son of Mary, Jesus is fully human. And as the son of God, Jesus is fully divine. No wonder the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It is the most extraordinary miracle in all the Bible. It is the most profound mystery in all the universe. But there's a second thing we learn from the angel about Jesus, not just that his, of his gender, that she will bear a son, but the angel announced his name. The angel tells Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, the angel Gabriel told Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And so Jesus was a very common name with a special meaning in that day. In fact, it's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. It means Jehovah saves, or the Lord is salvation. In fact, parents all over Israel in that day would name their children Jesus in the first century. Why? Because it expressed their hope that the Lord would save them from the occupying forces of Rome. And so the birth of Jesus Christ was the salvation of the Lord that Israel had been waiting for. And so the angel announced his name, but the angel also announced his mission when he says he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus was born to save his people, and he did that in many ways. 
Again, throughout the Gospels, you read about how Jesus did that. He gave food to the hungry. He healed the sick. He comforted the brokenhearted. And so Israel, God's people at that time, they rightly expected the Lord to send the Messiah King to save them. But here's where they go wrong. They wrongly expected the Messiah to be some kind of military hero who would save them from their Roman oppressors and restore them to their prosperity. But Jesus was not born to save his people from their physical enemies. Listen, he was born to save his people from their sins. Why? Because sin, listen, is our greatest problem. In fact, sin is at the root of all our problems. You see, the root cause of all the disorder in our world, all the chaos that we see around us, even the calamities and the tragedies, it's all rooted in sin. And the greatest disorder of them all is for you and I to be at odds with God, to be his enemy. And that is how we were born. We were born sinners because of Adam's sin. And in being born sinners, we were born enemies of God. That is our greatest problem. Always has been, always will be, until the day that we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. Because Jesus was born to take care of that problem. Jesus was born to redeem us from our sins and to reconcile us back to a right relationship with God. So far, we've seen the scandal of Mary's pregnancy. We've seen the miracle of Jesus' conception. And now we come to the obedience of Joseph. And let me tell you, Joseph's obedience was courageous. His obedience was courageous. In fact, one pastor calls Joseph the Rodney Dangerfield of Christmas because he can't get any respect. A large cast of characters converges at the birth of Jesus. In fact, you might have a nativity scene in your home, and you have those cast of characters. You have Mary, and she's rightly honored. The angels are hard to ignore, but Joseph is often the forgotten man of Christmas. I mean, even the innkeeper and the shepherds and the wise men get more attention than Joseph. Over the years, Joseph has earned the nickname Quiet Joseph because he never speaks. Matthew writes about Joseph, but Joseph himself, there's no record of him in Scripture of him ever speaking. But while Joseph may indeed be quiet, oh, how his obedience speaks louder than words. Look again what Matthew writes about Joseph in verse 19. He says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So what will Joseph do? How will he now respond to what the angel is telling him in light of the scandalous nature of, 
in challenge in his life of Mary's pregnancy. What, what would you do if you were in Joseph's sandals? Well, notice Joseph's obedience in verses 24 and 25. It says, when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, there's two, two acts of obedience here that Joseph does. The first of which is this. Joseph took Mary as his legal wife. He took Mary as his legal wife. After the angel invaded his dreams, Joseph, he abandoned his plans to divorce her privately or quietly. And he immediately takes Mary to be his wife. And to make the supernatural conception of Jesus perfectly clear for all the world, Matthew says something about Joseph that's rather interesting. He says, Joseph did not know her until Mary had given birth to a son. That is, he, he did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. That's interesting on behalf of Joseph. He wasn't actually told to do that. He does that himself. To make perfectly clear, this conception is miraculous, even though the community may think it is scandalous. But my obedience here to the Lord through the angel I'm going to go even a step further. He not only took Mary as his legal wife, notice the second thing Joseph does. He named Jesus as his legal son. You say, how? By calling his name Jesus. And by naming him, Joseph officially bestowed upon Jesus the status of a descendant of David, thus passing on to Jesus this legal right of kingship through his Davidic bloodline. You see, Joseph was who? We learn of who he was in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Joseph was the son of David, and now Jesus would be known as the son of David, except he would be the greater son. All because Joseph obeyed the angel of the Lord, and he took Mary as his wife, and he named Jesus as his son. Oh, what an example of courageous obedience by him. Listen, Joseph, he listened to God through an angel in a dream. He overcame his fears, and he obeyed the Lord when none of it made sense. And probably everyone around him is telling him he's crazy. You see, Joseph is a profound example of what it means to simply trust the Lord and to obey the Lord even when it doesn't make sense. And especially when your reputation is at risk in the eyes of the culture. But that's when we must submit our plans to the Lord and we must let God work his greater plans in us and through us like he did with Joseph and Mary. Now, in light of everything that we have seen here, everything that Matthew has shown us here about Mary's pregnancy and Jesus' conception and Joseph's obedience, what should we take away from all of this? Well, there are, there are many lessons that, that we could take away, but let me just show you, emphasize for you two things to take away here this morning. 
And it's what Jesus' birth confirms for us. Notice this in your notes. God is always faithful to his word. He is always faithful to his word, and he is always present with us through the birth of his son, Jesus Christ. God is always faithful to his word. And when God makes a promise in his word, he fulfills it in the world. And that's what we see here in Jesus' birth. Notice again what it says in verse 22 and 23. Matthew says this about the birth of Jesus Christ. He says all of this, in other words, all that he reveals to us, all that we've now seen, all that we've learned about the birth of Jesus Christ, Mary's scandal of her pregnancy, the miraculous conception of Jesus being conceived by the Holy Spirit, and even Joseph's own obedience, Matthew tells us that all of this, look in verse 22, says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now that is a quotation from the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 of Isaiah in verse 14, and it speaks of a son to a king, and the sign, or speaks of a sign, and the sign is a virgin birth that would be given to the house of David. And while there's a child that is born, in Isaiah chapter 8, This child that was born in Isaiah chapter 8 is not the the full fulfillment. It's not the final fulfillment of that prophecy. As we read on in Isaiah, especially when you read on Isaiah 9 and chapter 11, we learn that a unique child is still to come in fulfillment of that prophecy and that there will be a super fulfillment or a, a full fulfillment. And it is found in Jesus Christ. And because Jesus is the fulfillment of God's prophecy, listen, God now is always present with us through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel, which means what? God is with us. Now, that's absolutely shocking. And it would have been especially shocking to the Jewish people in Matthew's day that he's writing to. Because you would go to the temple, and that's where God's presence was. And now, through Jesus Christ, God is with us. Emmanuel. And even today, though, people still struggle with this idea. They struggle with the fact that this miracle is extraordinary, and it's a profound mystery. But here we see that Jesus truly is God with us. Oh, what a comfort to know that today. In the midst of our world, In the midst of COVID and chaos and uncertainty, what a comfort to know that God is always present with us. This Christmas, and even beyond, in 2022, may we here have faith. May we have trust and obedience to receive the blessings of Emmanuel, God with us. Listen, Jesus was born, as we saw last Sunday, to be our king. And Matthew shows us here that Jesus was born to be our savior. Because our greatest problem, personally, and even throughout the world, is not COVID, it's not the economy, it's not the uncertainty that we live in. 
Our greatest problem is sin. And God loves us enough that he invaded space and time in our history to send us his son so that Jesus could reconcile that problem. The question is, is Jesus your savior? Have you received him by faith as your savior to save you from your sins so that he can now be your king who you live for every day of your life? Why? Because Jesus came the first time as our Savior, but folks, he is coming the second time as our King to judge the world. And if Jesus is your Savior and King, then you are spared from the wrath to come. But if you have rejected Jesus as your King, then that wrath and that judgment still hangs over your head. But Jesus came to be your Savior and to solve your greatest problem of sin. With your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, thank you that Jesus came to be our Savior and that through the Holy Spirit we can know him for ourselves. We praise you that he is not just Mary's boy, but he is God the Son who came on a rescue mission to save us from our sin. And so we ask you to please draw near to us, to take hold of our hearts even now and to bring us to a place where we see how deeply we need you. We need the forgiveness that Jesus provides. And so bring us to a place where we find ourselves crying out to you for rescue. And if there's anyone here now who is seeking you and wants to know you, we ask, Lord, that you would help them to pray along with me, just this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and guilty in your sight. Thank you that you came to rescue sinners like me. Would you be my deliverer even now, my Savior, my King, and my Lord? You are the one my heart so urgently needs, and I trust you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.